Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Talking Sports with Evan. I am Evan Wittalison, the host of Talking Sports with Evan. I want to thank you all for spending some time listening to the show. The show is being recorded on November 10th, 2020, and a couple things here today to talk to you all about. One of the first things, uh, one of the things to talk about, Packers 49ers, Thursday Night Football. Talk about the uh, Packers' victory over the 49ers a little bit. Give my thoughts and my opinions on what transpired in that game. We're at the midway point of the Packer and the Packers and the NFL season. Talk some MVP race. Talk some Coach of the Year possibilities. Uh, playoff format that could be extended to 16 teams if games do get affected or canceled or cannot be made up due to uh, COVID. They may push it to 16 teams in the playoffs rather than the uh, the the 14 teams that they're looking at now, seven in each, with the only the the number one seed getting a first round bye. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I'm going to talk about MLB awards. The Brewers get another award um, handed to them during the Major League Baseball awards season. Um, Milwaukee Bucks in basketball. We have a start date tentatively for the, uh, for the NBA, meaning Giannis might be able to sign a Supermax very, very soon if he chooses to. Badgers at Michigan on Saturday. Can the Badgers get back on tracks right away very quickly after missing the last two weeks, or will they come out flat? And uh, we're going to go from there. So... Hope you enjoy listening. New way uh, ways to get in contact with me, including a new way. Um, if you want to email me any topics or questions or suggestions, you can email me at talkingsportswithevan at gmail.com. I will read the mailbag every week for those that shoot me an email and ask questions or, like I said, shoot me a topic on something you want me to talk about, something you want me to give your opinion on. TalkingSportsWithEvan.com <coughs> If you are looking for health and wellness advice and tips and suggestions, you can still email me at CoachEvan66 at gmail.com Also, you can tweet at me at EvanWitSports and find my page on Facebook at TalkingSportsWithEvan So, Packers 49ers played on Thursday, so we're a few days away now, actually, from that game. And the Packers get the victory, which was great to see. Um, and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the 49ers team um, that defeated them in the NFC Championship game last year or in the regular season last year and just put a big old hurting on them. It wasn't the same team, I'll give you that. Injuries, retirements, trades, free agents, either way, this is not the same team. But the Packers walk away with a 34-17 victory. Aaron Rodgers, 25-31, looked as sharp as ever. Uh, Aaron Jones back in the lineup. He got 58 yards rushing on the ground, including five catches for 21 yards as well. Um, 71 uh 79 total yards of offense for Jones. And it was nice seeing him back on the field. And he did a good job helping keep the, the chain, helping keep the um, the ball moving. Um, so that was great to see him back. 
Devontae Adams uh, commented post-game that, yes, he believes he's the best receiver in the game, and in reality, I think he is too. Um, you just watch what he does with what he has on the opposite uh, on the opposite side of the field from him, uh, receiver-wise. Inconsistent MVS, uh, Darius Shepard, um, Mercedes Lewis, Jay Sternberger, Robert Tunyon, uh, Aaron Jones, Tyler Irvin, Ekamania St. Brown, uh, uh, Malik Taylor. You know, none of these guys, you know, Tanya is starting to develop reputation of, you know, being a big, reliable target of Aaron Rodgers. Jay Sternberger has shown flashes uh, from time to time as well, being a guy that can block and nice uh, catching ability down the field. I think he's going to continue to make plays as the season goes on. And I think he's going to start taking catches away from Robert Tanyan by the end of the year. But regardless, guys like Shepard and St. Brown and Taylor and MVS, they're not guys that put fear in opposing defensive coordinators and defenses. And Devontae Adams is still able to get 10 catches for 173 and a touchdown. He's still able to, you know, it's his third game of 10 or more catches this season. The first time NFL history, I believe, uh, somebody's done it over eight games. Three, you know, three, ten, one fifty, and a touchdown. Um, Devante is truly one of the elite receivers in the game, and in reality too. And, and when we say that, when I say that, it's not a slight towards other receivers. The NFL has a lot of very good wide receivers at the moment. Calvin Ridley. Uh, Julio Jones, D.K. Metcalf, uh, Amari Cooper. You know, you can go on and on and on of some of the really good wide receivers in the NFL. But I don't think you can get too far down the list without putting Devontae Adams on that list. Um, I think he's right up there with Hopkins. I think he's right up there with Julio. I think he's right up there with Michael Thomas. I, I, I don't think you can go too far down the list. And what he's able to continue to do when teams are scheming to roll coverage his way, teams are scheming to stop him. Teams are scheming to try to take him out of the passing game. There hasn't been a lot of teams that have been successful in doing that these past couple of years. Even with Brett Hundley, Devontae is, was still putting up really, really good numbers. So I don't think Devontae is speaking out as you-know-what by commenting that he does believe he's one of the, you know, the top receiver in the game. He definitely deserves those accolades, and you know he's not a pound the chest, me 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 guy. So it is a little out of character for him, you know, saying that. But I don't think he's wrong, and I, I like the confidence. And I know he got some slack from other, you know, other fans and from people in the national media. But I honestly don't think he's wrong. He, he, he is really good. Uh, moving on, Adrian Amos, another strong game. Josh Jackson, other than a couple penalties, did all right. Now, the the unsportsmanlike conduct, I get why they called it, but at the same time, he's trying to bring the guy to the ground. Did he need to pick him up and slam him? No. And, yes, I get why they threw the flag. But what's he supposed to do? Just hold him, uh, hold the guy there until somebody else gets there to help him bring him to a ground and put him on a pillow? I don't know. Um, Zadarius Smith, uh, Dean Lowry, both played strong games. Montrevious Adams, I felt, played a really good game. Uh, Preston Smith, uh, Rashawn Gary, Tyler Lancaster, 
all guys that played really strong on defense. Now, the Packers did have some coverage issues against the 49ers, especially late in the game. Um, guys like, you know, because um, Jari Alexander left the game, uh, leaving Chandler Sullivan having to do some outside stuff more, leaving guys like Stanford Samuels in the game, Henry Black needing to play more. Um, Ty Summers had to play more due to Chris Barnes leaving the game hurt, which then he ends up testing positive for COVID the following day um, or day or two. Um, so he's in the COVID-19 protocol at the moment. Kadar Hallman uh, got some more playing time than usual. And, you know, late in the game, they, they struggled in coverage, and they did struggle in coverage at times. And the 49ers, uh, you know, it's kind of embarrassing to see Ricky James with nine catches for 184 yards and a touchdown. That was kind of embarrassing to see. But at the same time, Packers just wanted to get through the game, get the win, and move on and improve the 6-2, and two, and they did. And that's what matters. They won the game. You know, I, I, uh, one of my mentors in sports broadcasting, his, you know, he said his expression's been, you never apologize for a win. And the Packers, they got the win. And it doesn't matter if the team was four and, uh, four and four, now four and five following the game, one and eight or seven and all. What matters is you got the victory. You know, you don't get points in the NFL for style points. This isn't college. You just want to get the victory. But when I look back at the game offensively, I want to probably give my player of the game to Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. Um, defensively, I probably, eh, probably Zadarius Smith. He seemed to be very all over the place uh, making plays. And Darnell Savage, uh, honorable mention, he probably played his strongest game of the season. Just needs to come down with the interception when the ball hits him in the hands. I like him more in that robber role that he played on Thursday as opposed to trying to be that deep safety. I, I think you want to put him more towards the line of scrimmage more often and not have him so far back. He did split the gap in one play and uh, forced a, a, a tackle for loss or a short gain or something, the, the exact play, um, I can't remember. Um, I can't really point to a lot of negatives. Um, I think when you're playing guys like um, Ty Summers uh, for significant playing time and Stanford Samuels and Henry Black and Kadar Holman and Randy Ramsey off defensively, I can't really I can't really point to any two negatives. I guess just the penalties to Josh Jackson would be what worries me more. Um, He's a good tackler. He had some nice tackles. Ended a game with four in the game. Uh, four in the game, and he uh, he's not afraid to put his nose in there to bring somebody down. He just can't be so grabby, um, and he's going to get the reputation. So even the slightest contact, the officials are going to throw the flag. Offensively, I'm kind of disappointed in MVS. Yeah, he had two t- catches and two touchdowns, but. He, he, you, you saw the best of MVS on his touchdown catch. Great route. Uh, spun the safety or corner around and was wide open. But then you saw the bad in MVS where he dropped an easy third down catch that would have been a first down and kept the drive alive. Instead, he dropped it. Um, so for every big play um, MVS makes, you have other negative plays you can look at and just kind of shake your head at. 
you got to take the good with the bad with him at this point. You really don't have any other options. They didn't trade for Will Fuller. Um, they, you know, there's no receivers really in the free agent wire that is going to be able to step in and give you what MVS does. But MVS and and one thing though that I do notice at Rogers and I've noticed it talked about a lot on local sports talk program is Rogers is always talking up MVS. It's it's confidence. And I think Jason Wilby of The Athletic and ESPN Wisconsin and the Wisconsin State Journal, he's brought this up that last year going into this season, all the you know, the receiver coach, the head coach, the quarterback, all talk about the offensive coordinator, all talk about how it's a confidence issue with him. When he's feeling good, when he's confident, he's making big plays. When he's feeling bad down on himself, he struggles, but the unfortunate thing is he won't admit to himself that his confidence is down. And he he, he even argues and said, "No, my confidence is fine. I, I I don't I don't lack you know my conf I'm not you know my self confidence isn't down. I'm fine." And I think until he accepts that, I think until he understands that part of this issue is his confidence. Um, and he needs to be more consistent and understand that you're not going to be perfect. Um, you're not going to be uh, making, you're not going to catch every ball ever thrown to you. But at the end of the day, you cannot get in your own head and you got to shake your, shake it off and you got to have short memories. And I, I don't think he, he has uh, um, short memory, to be honest. Um, I just I just don't think he does. So, um, but yeah, I, I just think he just needs to work on understanding that sometimes things don't go your way, and just do better next time. So that that's my thought. The offensive line I felt played really well. Um, Billy Turner, I know last year and he was signed and he didn't play that great at times. Um, I know a lot of people didn't feel he uh, deserved the money and he was overpaid and not that good, but he has played, I think, other than center, every position on the offensive line this year at some point. I don't know if he, I can't remember if he played left guard, but I know he's played right tackle, I know he's played left tackle, I know he's played right guard. He, he's played pretty much anywhere on the offensive line and he's been very solid. He, he's doing his job. Rodgers didn't get pressured. I know one of the sacks got credited to Billy Turner on on uh, Thursday, but I like the way Billy Turner's playing. He, I, I would rather have him back on his right side. I'd rather have Bakhtiari in on the left side because there is limitations in Turner's game on the left. And if Nick Bosa would have been playing lined up on that side of the field, I, I don't think Billy Turner is. Uh, is um, playing that great. Um, I think he gets, you know, not beat like a drum, but I think he struggles a lot more in that game. And Elgin Jenkins, and I know people think and still feel that they should have took DK Metcalf at that point and not Elgin Jenkins, but Jenkins is another guy that's pretty much played everywhere on the line this, on the line this year. He's played center for a few plays. He's played right tackle. He's played left guard. He's played left tackle. When Rick Wagner got hurt, they slid him over the left tackle, kicked Turner over to right uh, right tackle, put John Runyon in at guard, and the offensive line didn't miss a beat. Now, 
if you look back to the regular season game against San Francisco last year, they lose Brian Bulaga early in the game. Alex Light has to play, and it was like they put a turnstile there. This year, they're without their top left, the top left tackle in the NFL. They lose their right tackle in the game, and they're able to piece together an offensive line that they don't miss a beat. And I, I think that's very important, and you can't take that away. And this game was one up front. The O-line and D-line did their job, which allowed the other players on the defense and the offense to be able to do their job, and the Packers got the victory. Now, later in the week, I'm going to preview Packers and uh, Jacksonville and give my predictions and thoughts on that game. But this was a game they needed, especially after that Viking game, for a confidence builder. They haven't played well in the West Coast. They haven't played well, especially in San Francisco against the 49ers. And I think this game is one that definitely can be a bit of a confidence builder for the Packers. I really do. And I hope they continue to build off of that. So with that, um, you know, just, uh, you know, the, the Packers, they, some guys that have really stepped up for the team this year that you, uh, that really helped them get to the 6-2 and two at the halfway point, Tyler Irvin, wide receiver running back. We saw him use the running back more in this game due to lack of backs with, Dexter Williams getting hurt in the game, Jamal Williams and the COVID protocol for being a close contact with A.J. Dillon, who tested positive. But Tyler Irvin has been uh, a gadget guy who does a little bit of everything for that offense. you got to tip your hat to him. Lucas Patrick, yeah, he, you know, he annoys you sometimes with some of the stuff he does, but overall he's been an anchor at, at guard on that offensive line. Uh, and Billy Turner, as I mentioned already. Um, I, I think, so you, you look at the NFC, and I know it's easy to get caught in the moment. You look at what the Saints just did to Tampa Bay, and you got to think to yourself, and Michael Thomas back, there's no way the Packers can beat the Saints again, and they got punched in the mouth against Tampa Bay and didn't respond. And But when you look at the NFC, you, you look at the NFC from top to bottom. There's no team in the NFC that really scares me against the Packers. If the Packers play their game, they can beat any team in the NFC. Yes, the Packers are Super Bowl contenders. And I know it's hard to see that sometimes. I know you, you don't think they are after they don't trade for a Will Fuller. Um, but at the end of the day, this team is Super Bowl contenders. And if they play, if they play up to their potential, up to their level... For four quarters of football, they can beat anybody in the NFC. The problem is you go to games like Tampa Bay where they, they, they get punched in the mouth and they struggle to respond. They got to find ways to keep keep up the fight, not lose the confidence, excuse me, and uh, keep, you know, keep trying to, to fight. Games against Minnesota, they didn't seem interested, and they got pushed around a little bit, especially up front. But San Francisco, um, Minnesota week one, Detroit week two, um, Houston, their wins, um, you see them uh, have much better tempo. They're moving, they're moving in and out of the huddles quickly. They're game tackling. They're staying in their gaps. They're not getting overextended. They're, they're doing their job, and that happens. 
They're tough to beat. So, yes, at this point right now, to me, the Packers are a team that could make the Super Bowl. To me, the NFC is extremely wild. I don't, I don't think the Pack, there's no one in the NFC that the Packers can't beat. And that includes Tampa Bay. There's not a team they can't beat. And again, that includes Tampa Bay. Call me crazy if you think, but I, I just, I just really high on them. Um. So we are at the halfway point, as I mentioned. Um. So midseason awards. Now the M- M- NFL MVP. Um, the guys you hear talked about: Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes. Aaron Rodgers, you've heard uh, Kyle Allen mentioned. Uh, But I think there's two guys that aren't really getting much consideration that deserve a ton of consideration for NFL MVP. And because they're running backs, they don't get consideration for NFL MVP. I think Alvin Kamara, I think Delvin Cook. I think those are two guys that deserve a tip of the hat to the MVP race. The Vikings have now won two, what, two in a row, I think, three in a row. And they've done it on the back of Delvin Cook, who, again, you, teams know that he's the guy they have to stop. And guess what? They can't stop him. You, you do one thing wrong in defending the Vikings' running game, he is going to find it, he is going to exploit it, and he is going to bust it up for a big run. We saw firsthand a week ago, Sunday, when the Packers played the Vikings, that anytime the Packers got caught out of position on defense, anytime somebody went to the wrong gap, every time somebody prematurely left their gap, Delvin Cook made them pay. And he can also catch the ball out of the backfield. He's an all-versatile back. And Alvin Kamara, Drew Brees isn't the Drew Brees anymore of of old. I was reading The Athletic and Michael Lombardi talking about the Saints and the Saints offense. He leads a team with 60 receptions, and Reese can't throw the ball, uh, stretch the ball really down the field. He's thrown eight passes between 21 and 40 yards per uh, Michael Lombardi's article in The Athletic, where he says Alvin Kamara is the, quote, real MVP. I think he truly deserves consideration. You know, look at what he does for the Saints offense. Nobody can stop him. Again, Packer fans, we saw firsthand what Alvin Kamara can do in a game. We saw firsthand the Packers won the game, but we saw firsthand a few weeks ago just how challenging he can be. So I think he deserves some consideration. But if I had to give my MVP to somebody right now, I personally would give it to Aaron Rodgers. Um, maybe it's my the homer in me, but I'll give it to Aaron Rodgers. Um I think Russell Wilson would be second, just because you look at the defense he plays with. This defense is awful. Um, and I forgot to mention Tom Brady in the MVP consideration, but I honestly don't think he's an MVP contender. I know everyone else seems to have him as one, but I don't. Um, offensive player of the year is, to me, Kamara and Cook, hands down. Um, and I guess maybe that's the award they get due to uh, them typically giving – MVP awards now to quarterback. It's become a quarterback award. I can't remember who the last non-quarterback was that won MVP. I want to say it was Adrian Peterson. Um, but I, it's been a while. Um, it's been a, quite a while since a, a, quarterba- a non-quarterback has won the award. 
I think Aaron Donald is definitely Defensive Player of the Year. And my Coach of the Year is I'm kind of torn. Uh, Matt LaFleur, I think, deserves consideration. Brian Flores in Miami, he seems to be the one guy from the Belichick tree that seems to be a very solid coach. And I know it's early, and I know it's only year two. But you could typically tell pretty quickly if guys are going to be uh, long-term head coaches or not. And with Bill O'Brien, you, you even with making the playoffs, you saw very quickly that he probably wasn't going to be a head coach for Houston for very long. But Flores looks the part. And then you look at Mike Tomlin. The Steelers are undefeated. He has his quarterback back. Now he's on COVID list, but he's got his quarterback back in Ben Roethlisberger. And the Steelers just always find ways to win. And I, I think he definitely deserves consideration for Coach of the Year. Um, so who tweet at me, who is your MVP right now? Who is your play, defensive and offensive player of the years right now? And who's your coach of the year right now? Talking sports with Evan at gmail.com. Um, at Evan with sports. Talking sports with Evan on Facebook. Who is your MVP right now? Who is your MVP? Who is your coach of the year? Who is your, um, your, your offensive and defensive players of the year? So, with that, um, lots of questions, uh, I think, in the second half. Um, that need to be answered. And I think teams are just, you know, te we're going to see um, who the true contenders and who the true uh, pretenders are. Like Philly is a pretender, obviously. Um, I don't think Arizona is quite a contender yet. I still think they're too young. Um, granted, I could be proven wrong. I think the Buccaneers aren't contenders to me. Um, they, they, there's just something about them that they're missing, in my opinion. I don't know what it is, but I, I can't really put them as a contender. The Seahawks, with their defense, it's hard to put them in the contender category. But I think the Packers and the Saints and the NFC are probably the top two. The Bears are, are pretenders. And then I think it's Tampa Bay. And then I think it's uh, probably Seattle there. The defense is just not good enough in Seattle. They're they're bad. They're beyond bad. Other interesting NFL news before I move on to talk slightly about Bucks and Brewers as I try to keep this under 30 minutes, and we're approaching 26 minutes into the show. So the NFL, and they're, they're looking at expanding the playoffs to 16 teams if they can't complete games in 17 or 18, or they can't do a week 18, and there's playoff implications on the line, instead of trying to figure out how to make them up, we're just going to add eight teams in the NFC, eight teams in the AFC, and go from there. Now, the one thing I do like about it, and I, I don't like adding the playoff teams, okay? But what I do like about it in the article that I was reading, and I just got to find... I took a, a screenshot of that particular paragraph, but I can't remember where my app or my photos are on my iPad. Here we go. Um, so, the plan would increase the playoff field to 16 teams. Four division winners plus four wildcard teams per conference and would see the teams one through eight based on winning 
percentages regardless of if teams won their division or not. Higher seeds would be the home team, and the bracket would not be reseeded. So Pittsburgh, I mean Philadelphia, the current NFC East champions, if they were to go this route, would be the eighth seed because they're the worst uh, team in the in that field. And I personally like that. Um, I think. And if you win your division, okay, yes, you should be rewarded. And that, to me, is you automatically make the playoffs. That should be your reward. You win the playoff. When you win the division, you automatically make the playoffs. But why should a 7-9, and 8-8, nine, eight and 7-8-1 eight, uh, seven, uh, seven, and one team host a playoff game? Why? I never understood that. I, I, and that even, you know, goes when the Packers made the playoffs in 2013 when Rodgers had his broken collarbone. Now, yes, if they would have played San Francisco on the road, I wouldn't have been able to I wouldn't have been able to go to the game, so I'm kind of glad they played it at Green Bay on my my selfish side. But the reason the, 500, 9 and 7, 8 and 8, um, their reward should be making the playoffs. If you have a, a runner up in a division at 11 and 5, they shouldn't have to travel to a, a 7 and 8 team and play at home. I know it's not a huge deal now with a lot of stadiums not having fans due to COVID. But I like the reseeding, and I hope that's something that they keep, regardless of what happens moving forward. I I want them to keep that. Reseeded based off winning percentages. It shouldn't just automatically go, you know, if you're a division winner, you automatically get that higher seed. It shouldn't be that way. You should have to earn the higher seed, in my opinion. So... The other thing, the NFL owners passed a resolution rewarding teams for developing minority coaches and executives. So the NFL and the Players Association and the the, and the, uh, the owners, basically that what they're doing, if a team loses a minority coach or an executive to a head coach or general manager with another team, the team that lost that guy would get compensatory, compensatory picks for three consecutive years. Um, third round pick. According to the resolution, a team is eligible to receive draft pick compensation if the candidate in question has been employed by the employer club for a minimum of two years. There can be no break in employment between teams. Um, NFL VP of Football Operations, Troy Vincent, said the resolution complements the overall collection of things we're going to try to increase mobility among, in particular, black coaches and females as well. Earlier this year, the NFL expanded the Rooney Rule, Rooney, Rooney Rule to require additional interviews of minority candidates. And I, and I know some people look at it that it should be based off um, who's the best person for the job and race and gender shouldn't play a part, but let's face it. The NFL, the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball, it's hard to break into that inner circle to be a head coach. It just truly is. You see a lot of coaches recycled over and over and over again. Like Tony La Russa in baseball is the manager of the White Sox again. 70, like what, 76, 77 years old, and he's the manager of the White Sox again rather than giving the job to... Um, you know, a lesser name, they hire La Russa because he's the big name. 
I think you have to find ways to get new names, opportunities in the coaching ranks. And the other thing that it takes away, too, is in May, owners removed an anti-tampering rule that enabled teams to prevent coaches from interviewing for promotions on other staffs, a rule that the NFL officials said adversely impacted coaches of color. Owners also approved an expansion of the Rooney Rule, which I already mentioned. Two people of color for head coaching vacancies and at least one minority coordinator and general manager jobs. Really, and, and I get I get why people might be a little not happy about it, but what it's doing is getting you a new panel of people to interview. Like, why is Eric Bieniemy not a head coach yet? Matt Nagy is still head coach in San Francisco, not San Francisco, in Chicago. Why is Eric Bieniemy not a head coach yet? I really don't get it. And, you know, being able to prevent teams from blocking a linebacker's coach to go to another team and, let's say, be defensive coordinator, I think is a good thing. That was one of my my gripes with Mike McCarthy when he was in Green Bay. He would always block his assistants from going on to interview for jobs that would be promotion. Very rarely did we see a coach on the Packers coaching staff move on to another team, especially for coordinator jobs. Never saw it. We don't know if anyone is capable of doing it for McCarthy's coaching staff during his time in Green Bay because he would never let anybody interview for any other jobs. And I think taking that pampering rule away and uh, opening up the potential for more people to get interviews rather than the same handful of people every year getting interviews, I think is a good thing. Now, yes, I know you're going to get the situation. Let's say the Oakland Raiders, when they brought John Gruden back, everybody and their mom knew they wanted John Gruden. So we know we knew everybody else they interviewed was just going to be placating. Fine, you say we have to do this, fine, this is what we're going to do. We're going to bring in Edgar Bennett and interview him to meet the requirement. And that's still going to happen, unfortunately. But I think being able to not have the tampering rule, being able to hire, you know, interview anybody on the coaching staffs that are under contract, I think forcing people, you know, you to have to interview more people, I think it's going to get more names out there. Like, would Mike Tomlin have been the head coach in Pittsburgh if uh, they didn't have to interview him? Now, I, I, Art Rooney or Rooney family is probably really high on Tomlin anyways, but if they didn't have to interview him, would they have? I don't know. Good question. Would Lovey Smith have been coach of the Bears years ago? I don't know. But I, I think the more people you have being able to be interviewed, I think the better. Just my two cents. I, I like it. We'll see how it goes. Unfortunately, sometimes rules have unintended consequences since placating, you know, candidates like just to meet the requirements. So we'll see. So Milwaukee Brewer news before I move on to a couple comments on the Bucks. The Devin Williams, NL Rookie of the Year to go along with his NL Reliever of the Year. And props to Devin Williams. Well-deserved. Um, I know the other people on the ballot were well-deserving well as well, but Devin Williams, well 
deserved. And he, he showed over and over again with his, his changeup how, how dangerous he was. And I thought he was well-deserved. Alec Brom of the Phillies finished in second. And Jake Cronsworth of San Diego finished third. I could have, I would have been fine if one of the other two would have won it, but I'm happy for my hometown guy. I'm happy for Devin Williams. Kyle Lewis gets 31st place votes in the AL. There was Roberts and runner uh, followed by Christian Javier. Um, 30, 27, 11 first place votes, respectfully. Um, you know, they're a little more evenly divided in the NL with Williams, Braun, and Connorsworth. And then he had one first-place vote for Tony Gonsolin of the Dodgers. So I think Devin Williams is well-deserving. So tip my hats to him. Um, next, Last thing I want to kind of comment on, the NBA has decided that the, the season will start December 22nd, which I think is great. Um I know they want to get, have games on Christmas this year. They can't technically have opening day be Christmas Day due to um, due to TV contracts. ESPN has a Christmas, Christmas Day games, or, or, or ABC, ESPN, and TNT has the opening day uh, uh, rights. So you, you really couldn't... Um, you, you really couldn't... Um, have opening day be on Christmas, so you needed to uh, start sooner than Christmas in order to have games on Christmas, and to me, that's kind of what they do with the 22nd. And I know the Bucks are intending to offer Giannis as soon as they can, the Supermax, and I I hope he signs it. I, I, I don't see Giannis leaving Milwaukee. I will start with that one right now. Giannis will not leave Milwaukee. He will sign long-term in Milwaukee. Um, I just, I just think that if he does not sign the Supermax now and wait for it, unfortunately, the unintended, well, the consequences are going to be <laughs> all we're going to hear even more going into opening day <laughs> is Giannis is leaving and where is Giannis going to go? Again, I think he signs. I think he stays. I don't think he, he goes anywhere. I'm fairly confident that Giannis is going to be a Milwaukee Buck for a very long time. He's going to sign a long-term extension. I just hope he signs a Supermax right away so we can avoid everybody annoying me nonstop with the, is Giannis going to leave? Is Giannis not going to leave? What team is a better fit for Giannis? So-and-so is going to go all out press, press on trying to bring Giannis back. I don't really want another offseason of that. So with that said, I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, thank you for being a supporter and a listener of the Talking Sports with Evan show. Um, I greatly appreciate it. Email me, uh, talkingsportswithevan at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Evan with Sports, or on Facebook at, on, at Talking Sports with Evan. So with that said, I will preview Packers and uh, Jaguars later in the week. I hope you enjoyed listening, and uh, share this with other people, and let me know what you think, give me some feedback, and I will talk to you all 
later on. Have a good one and be safe.